surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor, and I am so thrilled about today's guest. Uh, she is the author of a book coming out called Transsex Clinical Approaches to Trans Sexualities and Erotic Embodiments. And she also taught my course at Modern Sex Therapy Institute for my PhD in clinical sexology. And the whole presentation was so amazing. I was just like, we've got to get her on the podcast and share more of this information and share some of the things that really like caused me to sit back and reflect and really kind of change my approaches both professionally and personally kind of going forward in life, um, which obviously takes time and is things I'm going to have to practice at daily. But um, I'm so excited to introduce you all to Lucy Fielding. Um, she is a white, queer, non-binary femme and a resident in counseling practicing in Charlottesville. Uh, she received her master's in counseling psychology at Pacifica Graduate Univer Institute. Uh, she also holds a PhD in French from Northwestern University, where she specialized in 18th century literature, histories of sexuality, and erotic literature. Uh, her background in literature and history attunes her to the many ways that image, metaphor, and cultural scripts shape and inform the narratives that we carry with us. And as we move throughout the world as well as to how these narratives inscribe themselves on our bodies, on our bodies, our bodies carry so, 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 so much. Um, I honestly had such a blast um, learning from Lucy in my class, so I am just absolutely thrilled to have her on the podcast today. So we're going to get into identities, we're going to get into imagination, we're going to get into gender curiosity, we're going to get into intergenerational wisdom and community care, we're going to get into feeling safe versus feeling bounded, and we're going to talk about all of this both from from a you know professional standpoint of practicing um, within the therapeutic space, but also personally. So hopefully, um, whether you're a provider in the helping field or not, you can take something away from this um, personally, if not also professionally. So with all of that, let's talk about it. All right. Welcome, Lucy, to the show. Thank you so, so much for taking the time out and for being open to coming on the show today. I am so, I, like, there are very few guests that I've been, like, this excited to have on, so I'm very, very excited to have you on. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, and you're you're too kind. Thank you. Uh, yeah. It's, it's always a pleasure to, to chat, and especially since you were in that class a few weeks ago. So, yes. yeah. 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 It's, I mean... Uh, I'm excited about all of my guests, but I definitely like 
seeing you present and walking through everything that you taught us um, throughout the class the last month, I guess it was, um, was just so, I felt like you were such a model as to how I would love to see more instructors move and also as to like how I would want to approach teaching. Um, And so part of that was literally just from how you even started your presentation um, with the kind of focus on like, what does identity look like with even just identifying yourself and you included like your social location and all of this. And I was just like, this is, this is the, this is the model. This is how it should be. <laughs> um, you definitely have had the most inclusive, most accessible presentation that I've ever seen in my entire like education history through my undergrad, through my graduate. Um, and even from some classmates who have like seen you teach in other capacities were like, yeah, like she's always very accessible and like she comes correct. Um, so thank you for all of that, but would love to kind of start off with that kind of, um, calling the, the identities and kind of naming the identities Mm -hmm. that you bring into the room. And now I'm like, I should start on my podcast like this. (laughs) Yeah. I, well, so I, um, to engage in location of self, um, I am a white, uh, queer, kinky, polyamorous, um, non-binary trans femme. I'm also Jewish, which witchy, um, uh, visibly able-bodied and, um, 43 years old. I live um, I, I live in Central Virginia, and I practice in Charlottesville, Virginia. Although during the pandemic, I practice all over Virginia, and uh, I specialize in um, sex therapy and gender therapy, and um, and and kink aware and uh, kink knowledgeable therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you speak to like the importance of naming these identities, of being aware of these identities, um, not just within the like educational realm, but within the therapeutic realm and even maybe just within the social individual realm? Well, I think it comes from a a few political places. Um, The first is um, it, it comes from the, the conviction that um, our identity constellations matter, um, and they are often subjects like sex that mm-hmm. therapists have, at least historically, and for the most part in the present, still kind of shy away from. They're a little nervous about it, and I really um, want to put it out there because I want to really be clear from the very outset that this is a subject that is important to our work together. It's going to mm-hmm. impact how, um, you know, our differences, our similarities, um, you know, are going to impact how we are viewing the world and what kinds of um, cultural stories and images and, and are, are going to be in the room with us. And so uh, it's an invitation um, to anyone that I am um, teaching or that I am speaking with as as a therapist um, to really say like this is not a topic that's off limits indeed I encourage it let's let's bring it in the room the other piece of it and it is that um, I serve small communities within a small community 
Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, there is, there's a lot in our ethical codes as therapists, um, about what we call dual relationships or multiple relationships. And, um, and when you practice in rural environments or you specialize in working with communities, um, particular communities and particularly marginalized communities, it helps, um, you know, it helps for me to really put out there from the very outset, like um, that um, I, this is who I am. This is, um, and, you know, you are welcome here and not just welcome, but you're going to be seen here. Like mm. you can sit on my couch, my virtual couch at mm. this point, and and be seen, be heard, be held in the fullness um, of your being, mm. um, and that and a lot of clients come to um, you know queer therapists or kinky therapists, polyamorous trans therapists, precisely because we are kinky. They do, they see us in community. And it's not that I am like, I'm always very clear about where the ethical bounds Mm -hmm. are. So like if I'm at a, but it brings that social location brings that conversation in the room so that we can, like, if we're both going to be at an event, we can determine, okay, do I go to that event? If Mm -hmm. I go like, what's our story? How do we, how are we going to interact or not interact? And, um, and, you know, like, and then really making it clear, we're going to process it before and we're going to process it afterwards. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it's, it's just being forthright and, and, and trying to also humanize me that like, I'm a, and the pandemic has made this especially important. I think, you know, it's like, we're in the room with you we're in the trauma soup with you the last year has been collective trauma after collective trauma Mm -hmm. and um and we're still in it um and um and even though there there there's so much hope with the vaccines you know getting in arms so excited about that um you know there's still a lot of trauma being held in the body and you know and sometimes it helps for a therapist to really just come out and say like I'm in it with you like Mm -hmm. I'm not I don't have any special insight into who you are and you know what concerns you're bringing to me I'm I'm in it with you I you know I'm going to probably turn off the ring light and turn off the, the 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 telehealth platform and I'm going to get into my PJs too and I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to drink uh, mm-hmm. um have ice cream and you know and maybe have a glass of wine or something you know it's mm-hmm. like uh, I mean it's it's um I'm I'm in it I'm not always okay yeah yeah that, I mean, it feels so freeing, I think, as a professional, too, to be able to identify that. And like you said, I, I, I do agree here that especially when you are working with marginalized communities, especially when you are working with folks who carry different identities than you, it 
is a form of self-disclosure that we're so frequently frequently told, you know, not to do. And that means like blank slate is like kind of the yeah. best way to work with people. But it it helps provide, I think, that sense of being seen. I think it's also a sense of, it's a practice of kind of modeling that embodiment in yourself for your clients, maybe for your students, for your friends, for whatever, um, that, you know, you can sit in your wholeness. You can kind of identify your your wholeness. You can identify your humanness and folks can either kind of relate to that. They can have some respect for that. They can have questions about that in terms of how they even feel, um, you know, comfortable to work with you or not. Um, I think it is a really important part of self-disclosure that, I mean, thinking back to undergrad and graduate school, like we're not really taught how we really introduce or identify ourselves with within the therapeutic space. Um, so I, I love that, that you shared that and I am definitely in agreement with that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the blanks, the blank slate, um, or therapeutic neutrality. Mm-hmm. And I mean, frankly, from a social justice perspective, from, um, from, a political perspective, like, I, I mean, it, it's a morally untenable position to me, you know, like, um, because like, if we are denying that, if we're operating as if like, we uh, have a vantage place from nowhere, yeah, then, um, you know, what are we communicating to people that we're, we're working with, that we're sitting with, mm-hmm. that we're caring with? It, it, it communicates that like, um, that we don't see the injustices, the minority stress, the, Mm -hmm. um, the insidious trauma, um, Mm -hmm. the everyday microaggressions that our clients are, are living with and dealing with. And instead, like it says, you know, like, oh no, we're not going to talk about that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, that's, that's not important. Yeah. And pardon my French, but bullshit. Yeah. (laughs) All the French is welcome here. (laughs) Awesome. Yes. And I mean, it's also taking a look right at, you know, who are the founders in this field? Who are the ones that are determining the professional standards of this field? White, cis, straight men like Freud? Yeah. Yeah. Um, not sure how important social justice was there (laughs) yeah I mean you know like he um you know there there's a lot that is in Freud that is fabulous and and revolutionary yeah um you know and like um so much of I mean it it also just replicates the um you know white and colonial mm-hmm. and particularly settler colonial dynamics of, of, you know, like of erasure and displacement. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I want to unsettle our practices mm-hmm. um, or queer our practices as it were. I love that. I want to unsettle this practice. I love it. I love it. Um, and I think it also speaks to, Right. I mean, essentially the, the colonization, the imperialism, it's white supremacy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think 
even as we kind of get into some of these topics that I wanted to cover that you spoke on um, in terms of gender curiosity and, you know, the failures of our imagination, like I'll, I'll let you speak to that topic, but just the point here that so much of the injustice that we do have today, so much of the, I think, failure of imagination that you'll speak on um, is in large part due to white supremacy that has Mm -hmm. like instilled these ideals of what Mm -hmm. is quote normal. Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, I think about Dr. Angela Davis speaking in late June um, in the midst of, you know, the protests last summer around police abolition and um, and prison abolition. And, and she had this wonderful, um, she was on a panel and she made this quote, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it mm-hmm. because um, I, I do not um, have her quote in front of me, but, but it was like, you know, we must look to trans and non-binary folks because they have unsettled, you know, something that we thought we could take for granted, you know, which is to say the gender binary. And if you can unsettle that, if you can, um, if you can explode the gender binary, what else is possible? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, suddenly, suddenly abolitional movements really don't look like some kind of um they don't look as radical um mm-hmm. as um as they're made out to be i mean they they're it's it seems realizable it seems like yeah we can do this and we can do this in our lifetimes and we don't have to we don't have to wait for the next generation and just keep kicking the can down the road mm-hmm. yeah We'll have to put a link to um, that clip where she's speaking and, and maybe it speaks to that. That might be helpful to put down in our, in our episode notes if we can find that. All right. I want to take a short break right here because one of the questions I'm always asked of like how you can get better in touch with your eroticism, with your erotic self, um, right? Like what are resources, what are practices that you all can engage with? And I could not be more excited to have them as a sponsor of the podcast on my favorite platforms called Dipsy. So if you haven't heard me talk about Dipsy before, um, I mean, it's a great way to like unwind after a long day of Zoom calls for self-care, resetting and reconnecting with yourself highly recommend using Dipsy. So it's an audio app that's full of short, sexy stories that are really like designed and do a great job of turning you on. Again, definitely help you feel like you are really there, like someone is really talking to you, like you're really just immersed in the scenario. And I mean, it just adds so much more excitement and feels so much more um, erotic and sexy. And (laughs) you can find stories about like literally 
any kind of scenario here. They release new stories every week. So there's always something uh, to explore no matter what you're into or what turns you on. And I mean, you can do this, you know, if you're struggling to kind of get in the mood, uh, maybe your partner wants to have a sexy night and you're kind of like, oh, I don't really know. I'm really stressed out. And there's like a lot of things on my mind and a lot of things I need to do. Um, You can maybe throw on Dipsy and listen to a little story and, you know, pretend like you're listening to a podcast, but really you're like getting in the mood you know? Um, (laughs) And of course, for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Taylor. I mean, I don't think I could ask them to provide you all with a better deal here. (laughs) That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P- com slash Taylor. 30 days. You know how much, how many sexy erotic stories you can experience in 30 days? Wow. This is great. <laughs> Again, you can go to dipsystories.com slash Taylor and be sure to check them out, share them with a friend, share them with a partner, and don't forget to use that link so that you can get the 30-day free trial. Again, dipsystories.com slash Taylor. Okay. And with that fun little resource, super appreciative and love having them as a partner of this podcast, uh, we can now get on back to the show. Um, yeah, there's a lot to unsettle. There's a lot to unpack. Um, the thing that I think really stuck out in terms of like work that I think already as the like LGBTQI movement and um, visibility and awareness has grown in my lifetime that I've had to challenge myself on this and kind of unpack this. And so I was really happy to see it come up in your presentation and really happy to have therapists in particular um, unpack this. And that was the unethical curiosity. And I think as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, yes. Because it's like, you see so much of that where people think, well, they're just curious. They're just curious. Like they just want to know. And a lot of it, I could relate to my own like racial curiosity experiences mm-hmm. of people like, what are you? Like, oh, I'm just curious. Like, just curious, yeah. what are you? You know? Where are you uh, from? Yeah. Yeah. Like I could relate on on that level. And I think it's like, yeah, I've noticed those things have came up internally for me in the past. I don't necessarily like vocalize that. So it's like not my business. Like, especially if I don't if I don't know someone, like what is the purpose of that? Um, but you spoke about unethical curiosity. And I think a lot of that also was kind of stemming from us having, you know, failure in our imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love for you to kind of speak a little bit as to what that is and, and how those are both kind of how they influence each other. Well, so, so first, imaginary failure, as I talk about it, is um, we, we talk in therapy about empathic failures. It's when a, a therapist... Um, fails to empathize mm-hmm. um, in particular ways with their client in particular moments. And an imaginative failure, I, I see an empathic failure as a subset of imaginative failures, mm-hmm. which is when our imaginations fail us because of the 
cultural scripts, the dominant discourses that are coming with us and our clients in the room. We're walking around with them, um, you know, and in in many ways, like really um, some some lovely cultural scripts, some, you know, that come from like um, from our ancestors, from our lineage, from, um, you know, I like to tell my clients, you are somebody's legacy um, and somebody will be your legacy, you know, to put yourself in the sweep of, of a community that has struggled and will continue to struggle, but, um, but that we care for one another, you know, not just self-care, but community care. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I really wanted to look at the ways that, particularly with respect to um, uh, trans and non-binary folks in therapy, um, although as you point out, you know, it's like the impact of white supremacy, the impact mm-hmm. of um, heteronormativity or yeah. mononormativity or any any kind of normativity or ism, you mm-hmm. know, will creep in with those scripts. And mm-hmm. and what they do is that they serve to foreclose what we think is possible. What and they sometimes can lurk behind the questions that we ask. And so, like unethical curiosity, like I. I use curiosity a lot in my work, you know, but, Mm -hmm. but I also want to make sure that I am tuning myself to the possibility that when I lean in and say, "Hmm, I'm curious, can we do this? Or can I ask about this? If I preface that with, I'm curious, like some clients are going to be like, oh, that's, that's going to be great. And others are going to be bracing themselves internally for like, mm-hmm. oh God, what's coming down the pike? Because mm-hmm. like I've I've been there. Like um, I write in my book, um, you know, that of an experience of when I came out to one of my first um, supervisors. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in I was an intern in in therapy, um, and um, I was working for of, of all things a. Um, sexual and intimate partner violence Mm. um, uh, organization. And um, I came out to my supervisor and he, you know, the questions always start out okay. Mm -hmm. And then at some point it just like, it turns. And, and, you know, in those moments, like I, I freeze sometimes and I'm, and and so, like, I, I'm like, how did I find myself here that I'm suddenly um, being asked or feeling feeling a pressure um, to answer questions about, like, what my genitals look like, mm-hmm. how I have sex, with whom I have sex, are my, am I going to stay together with my wife? And, you know, mm-hmm. how do we have sex? You know, these are kinds of questions that I, that I would get and that I got in that meeting. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, um, and, and so like, I, I always want to ask, like, who is this for? Who yeah. is this curiosity for? Why are, why are we asking this? Is this because there's an actual 
utility or do we feel entitled to know something? If there's an entitlement to know, then that's something to maybe pause, check in with your body. Like what's going on here? Do I think that because I'm a parent or I'm a lover or I'm a friend that I am entitled to this information that I wouldn't ask of somebody Mm -hmm. just um, randomly? Like, would I ask you about your genitals and what they look like? No, I wouldn't. And in no way would I do that. Um, And I'm not sure in what capacity it's helpful for a supervisor to know how their supervisee has sex with their partner. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm really not sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like I was, it was being prefaced all the time with like, I'm curious. And then, you know, it would end with like fascinating. And I just mm. like, I walked out of that room just like feeling so icky, dirty, Um, and objectifying, fetishized, Mm -hmm. denuded, um, and, um, you know, and, and like, I was subject to, to just this penetrating gaze. Mm -hmm. Oh, that phrase. Yeah. I feel that this penetrating gaze. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's folks often feel that curiosity is innocent. Yeah. And because that is, yeah, that because it is innocent, it is good intentioned because it is good intentioned. They couldn't possibly be causing harm or that it's, Mm -hmm. it's okay because it's good intentioned. Mm -hmm. Well, and sometimes we may have good intent, Mm -hmm. But um, the questions that we're asking, we are um, allowing ourselves to become tools of social control by, Mm -hmm. like, asking questions that, um, say, an insurance company feels like they need to know Mm -hmm. or, like, what um, some kind of, like, disembodied, um, you know, talking head feels like they need to know mm-hmm. um you know there's this great video and uh, I'll, I'll give you the link to it it's it's um janet mock and she's sitting with um this mm-hmm. was right after her um truly disastrous interview um with um piers morgan mm-hmm. um and yeah we have <laughs> megan markle yeah um, fame um most recently like i um, anyway, but so like he, um, you know, he would do all these, these things and he would always preface it by like, you know, well, people need to know, you know, it's like, who, mm. who are these people mm-hmm. that need to know? And so she did this, like flip the script video with the journalist who was cis. And she asked her all of the questions that journalists have asked her. And that's like a perfect example of like, what like an unethical curiosity can feel like. I mean, mm-hmm. like wait until the end of that video where they process the experience. And, you know, the journalist is like, oh God, I felt, oh, that, ee, that was awful. Yeah. And, you know, it's like been there, been there way too many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this is where I think, 
the harm is so apparent. Like, I think it's so apparent as you experience it, but for those who don't experience it, this is kind of like the underlayer that they don't usually see that they can't Mm -hmm. understand because there isn't space for them to be able to relate to that um, for folks who are marginalized and experience that kind of like very uh, fetishizing, objectifying, dehumanizing, innocent curiosity. Um, And which tends to focus for trans people on, on our genitals. and how we have sex um so it's Mm -hmm. it's a specific form of genital curiosity um and yeah uh, i mean it just and and it seems like the more intimate you are with a person Mm -hmm. the more there seems to be um an entitlement to know um on the part of someone so um you know and that includes therapists you know it's Mm -hmm. like um and And so I I just want us to take a step back. It's not to say like you have to walk on eggshells around me or that like, I mean, what I want to do is I want to make these things, these dynamics visible. I mean, it's, it's like terms like cis and trans, Mm -hmm. like as prefix, like when we say like, um, like on a, on a dating profile, when like it's always a it's it's always a um a point where i'm like oh okay i might be able to swipe right on you if you describe yourself as as cis um you know in mm-hmm. there because it communicates to me th- these terms they're not they're not to like they we don't design them to be aggravating or to create another mm-hmm. binary um, it is, I mean, maybe a little bit aggravating, <laughs> um, but but it's really there because, you know, like trans and non-binary folks, gender expansive folks, we think a lot about gender. And, uh-huh. and so when we name, when we use prefixes like cis and trans, it's to make visible the fact yes. that we all cis and trans have we all have a relationship with gender mm-hmm. and it's just that for some of us it's more visible than with others mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah all right we're gonna take a short little break but it's gonna be a little sexy break um because i want to share again about the discreet series from our amazing partner balessa boutique if you don't already know, Balesa's sex, sex toy boutique, um, bboutique.co, is the number one rated sex toy store on Google. They literally have over 25,000 reviews. And I don't like, if you haven't seen this yet, I'm surprised, but like Cardi B um, loves Balesa. <laughs> um, she's like, literally, she posts about them. And I'm like, hey. I know them. Um, but the number one thing that people ask about at Balesa Boutique, and anytime I share about sex toys, the number one question I get is about discretion. So I really want to share again the Discreet series by Balesa. Um, it's really like 
all over Instagram and these vibes come in these really, really cute little clamshell charging cases. So it looks like it's like a compact makeup case, uh, but it's actually a charging case for your vibrator. Uh, The vibrator fits perfectly inside of it and you just plug in the USB rechargeable cord on the outside um, and the toy is waterproof and they use body safe materials. Um, They, I mean, I I personally own the Balesa Vibe, so you've probably seen it on my Instagram and I can confirm 10 out of 10. Okay. Love their toys. Love this discreet series. Um, And of course, want to help y'all lovely listeners out. You can get 15% off all sex toys at Be Boutique and free U.S. shipping with the code Taylor15. That's a deal. So again, that's B B O U T I Q U E dot co C O <laughs> and get 15% off and free US shipping with the code Taylor15. Um, and I mean, come on, y'all. Owning like you can own the same vibrators like freaking Cardi B. Like <laughs> You gotta step your game up. Come on, let's get with it. Let's get this discreet vibrator series, okay? Um, again, that's bboutique.co and Taylor15 for free shipping and 15% off all sex toys. So you're welcome. And thank you for your support. And thank you to Balesa for being boss ass bitches per use. And we can now get back to the show. It is so different unfortunately, to have anything outside of male, female be identified in terms of our genders. And I think about the kids who are like being born today, Mm -hmm. the kids who are like three, four, five years old now, Mm -hmm. who are going to grow up with way different than what I grew up with, (laughs) with, with this already built into the culture of being able to identify pronouns, right? Being able to identify um, your gender and there being somewhat of an openness in terms of having like opportunity and having right, a right to explore what that actually is for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a right that is very precarious right now. Mm-hmm. in in many states um as you know um unfortunately um there have been a lot of state legislatures that have um that have started passing bills that yeah. have basically made it criminal mm-hmm. for um uh, children and teens to get access to gender affirming care yeah, and, even to emergency and, care. And this was um, yeah. Kansas, is that right? Kansas? Uh, Kansas is one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. South Dakota. Um, there's also mm-hmm. uh, some legislation around trans women participating in sports, which is also a white mm-hmm. supremacy issue. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and, but, um, but it's, um, but yeah, so um, there was, I believe, Missouri, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a, a Texas was was considering one. Um, if if you're looking to kind of follow what's going on at a state legislature level, um, the Twitter feed of Chase Strangio 
um, who's a lawyer for the ACLU, um, does such incredible work tracking mm. what's going on in mm. the courts and in the legislatures. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That's I, a good I heart chase so much. <laughs> I don't know them. But, I yeah. know, but, but, uh, but oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely link that in the notes there so that people can, can follow that and keep up there. Um, and I think, you know, it's like some steps back, some steps forward, some steps backwards, right? Like we've yeah. definitely, I think there is a openness around, um, you know, gender today more than there was at least when I was born and when I was in school. Um, and now I feel like I didn't like sound like I'm like so <laughs> old and like out of it or something like I'm not hip anymore. I'm not hip. Um, <laughs> but there are still people that are like consistently anti anything that is not heteronormative and are really putting people's lives in danger and putting people's lives at risk. Um, so I'm wondering if we can speak a little bit about community care for a second, because I know yeah, you kind of yeah. mentioned that earlier and that was a part of your presentation that I really appreciated as well. Um, just talking about like intergenerational wisdom and community yeah. care. Um, yeah. I think it is so important, you know, not just for like trans community, but um, even in my own kind of work, um, doing a lot of processing of being biracial, being multiracial, mm -hmm. and of like, where are like, where are the people that we look to that are multiracial, right? Mm -hmm. To share kind of this wisdom of what this very unique experience is like. Um, and mm -hmm. so I'm wondering within, you know, trans community, within um, LGBTQ community of what that intergenerational wisdom and community care can look like. Yeah. So first of all, like, um, a lot of times the intergenerational wisdom and the resilience that I, I love talking about um, is it, it comes from a place of struggle and from pain mm -hmm. yeah. and, um, and indeed from trauma. So we talk about intergenerational trauma, which was first mm -hmm. kind of discussed in relationship to um, Jewish folks and the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And so like I'm Jewish, i did not experience the Holocaust, but um, it's the idea that I carry yeah. that trauma with me as as a as a Jewish femme. Yeah. Um, and it changes people's DNA. Like when you experience that trauma, and that gets passed yes. down, and that gets held in your body. That's very very real. Absolutely, yeah. That's um, and and so um, you know we all come from we are all here because, um, you know, somebody, um, you know, whether it was like in, in Europe, a serfdom, um, a condition of serfdom or from, you know, experiencing the, um, our ancestors experiencing the transatlantic slave trade mm -hmm. or our ancestors, um, you know, experiencing, um, the erasure of, of their indigenous cultural, um, identities and practices um, yeah. as part of, you know, the settling process um, and the process of imperialism. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, but alongside that, um, there's a, a, a trauma therapist, um, Rezma Menachem, um, who, um, whose beautiful book, My Grandmother's Hands, I 
go out and, and get it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wonderful. And Rezma talks about um, how intergenerational trauma that are the wordless stories that our bodies carry. Yeah. And I read that passage and I was like, oh, what other wordless stories do our bodies carry? Because he then talks about the resi- intergenerational resilience that, it, mm-hmm. that um, you know, that we, the communities, um, that cultures will come up with over time mechanisms of resilience to um, preserve culture, to transmit it. Um, the way that I talk about it sometimes is it's kind of like intergenerational wisdom is kind of like that, um, you know, oil stained, crumpled up, ink splattered um, recipe, the cherished mm-hmm. recipe that's like passed down from one grandmother to the to the next and, you know, mm-hmm. generation to generation. And, and it just gets more and more oily and soiled and, and everything like that, but it carries, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you, when you make that recipe, you are calling upon mm-hmm. um, that, that grandmother, that great grandmother, you know, who, um, who first committed it to paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Communities um, like the queer and trans community, we, you know, like um, I did not experience uh, the Compton cafeteria um, uh, um, riots. I didn't, um, I didn't experience the Stonewall riots. I didn't, um, but I am, I am connected through lineage to people who did struggle, who threw bricks, um, folks like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, who, um, you know, um, who, who fought and bled and fucked, Mm -hmm. um, and, and loudly proclaimed, um, their entitlement to take up space. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so like, and we have learned through, um, through successive, you know, traumas um, in our communities, how to take care of ourselves mm-hmm. when, because, you know, like governments aren't necessarily going to do that because, um, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, the, um, the, the pandemic really made that visible um, mm-hmm. for me, you know, as like a year ago, I was really grappling, like, how do I sit with this? How do I, God, I, I can't hold this. This is, what do I do? And then I started reading works by um, queer folks and trans folks um, who are writing in the 80s and 90s at the height of the um, HIV AIDS epidemic in, mm-hmm. in the United States and, and seeing their stories and seeing like, and hearing them like in 1987 and in, you know, like, um, 1992, you know, like writing, um, we know how to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are ingenious. We, um, we developed safe, safer sex. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, there's all of the, um, you know, we know how to, how to 
you know, operationalize mutual aid funds and to care for one another and to and when connection and touch feels so precarious, so mm. risky, we know how to connect. We know how to care with one another. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's really what I want to highlight, you know, mm-hmm. that that we have that baked into our communities. We are part of a legacy of struggle and that that queer lineage is our queer future. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Feels empowering. I'd like to hope so. I mean, I I mean, certainly it gave me a lot of hope Mm -hmm. um, a year ago um, to read that work and to feel like I was touching hands Mm -hmm. with, um, with folks that are no longer with us or died. um, um, But folks who, some folks are still with us and Mm -hmm. whose, um, whose writing and whose fierceness is is still past like that cherished family recipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Feeling um, in community mm-hmm. and the word that's coming up for me here is bounded. Yeah. Um, and held. Yeah, held. All right, we're going to take a little mini break here um, because I know there might be a lot of information here. And afterwards, I want to share something fun that maybe you all can do if you just need like a little, you know, zone out a little bit. If you just need to like get away from everyday world for a little bit and do something to just kind of blow off some steam, maybe like slightly mindless, but also kind of mindful in a fun way. Um, This is honestly something I've used for months now. Um, and that is best fiends. And it's a, it's a game. Okay. It's a, it's an app and it's like all these different puzzle games. And I'll literally like, this has been my bedtime routine is I brush my teeth, do my face, get in bed. I journal a page and then I, (laughs) then I start playing best fiends and maybe I have Netflix on while I play it on my phone, but it is one of the top-rated games. It has over 100 million people that download, um, that have downloaded it. And it's like, they've got all these really cute characters. I got to upgrade them after like every level. I think I'm like almost at level 100 now. And like, it gets more difficult or like more challenging like as you go along so at first I was like oh like this is kind of like easy like I can do this and like I'm matching all the um mushrooms to the other mushrooms and I'm matching all the flowers to the other flowers but then it's like there's bombs on here now and then I gotta like make sure I defeat all the slugs and I gotta make sure I get like 50 leaves and then I gotta get like 30 flowers and I gotta make sure that like my players are upgraded and that they evolve. Nyla the game too she's only six so it's like she can't like fully play at the level I'm playing at now which I love using because then she like gets all jealous and tries to beat me but 
She can't yet. Uh, <laughs> so I just want to share this as a really fun resource. Um, I love using them and probably play it at least every other day. Um, and just gives me a nice little like mental checkout, uh, which we could all use. There's a lot of things going on in the world. So you deserve a little bit of, um, you know, <laughs> fun play. Uh, So you can download Best Fiends for free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And with all of that now, we can get back to the show. You spoke about feeling safe versus feeling bounded. Mm -hmm. And literally made me rethink every time I use the word safe (laughs) or safety. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and this is like my favorite thing about education. You know, you can go through a whole thing using one word one way and then you learn something and you absorb it and you're like, holy shit, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. Like this is actually the way forward. Um, and you speak a little bit about the difference between mm-hmm. feeling safe and feeling bounded. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm I'm really glad that that resonated with Super. you, and I'd I'd love to, kind of um, I'd love to ask you about like um, mm-hmm. how that how that has shifted things with you because, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically it comes from this idea, um, that that we we talk especially like in trauma modality it's like we we talk about it safety as feeling safe as a precondition for kind of processing trauma. And we say like, well, we have to establish safety, that sense Mm -hmm. of safety before we can do anything. And, and I thought about like, one, have I ever done anything that has benefited me from a place of feeling safe? First of all, no. Um, because when we are in our comfort zones, yeah, like, why are we going to, yeah, what's the incentive to change? What, where, why would we do that? Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, so it's like, um, a a dear friend and and colleague of mine, Doug Braun Harvey talks about how ambivalence is, um, is essential to the change process, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that we need to feel that sense of like, of risk and benefit and yeah. that like, okay, do I, you know, there's something that serves me about staying put. There's mm-hmm. something that doesn't serve me if I stay put. The other recognition is that nothing we do or very few things that we do are a hundred percent safe. Like mm-hmm. hopping in our cars, not a hundred percent safe. Um, therapy, not a hundred percent safe. Um, and especially like as a, as a kinky femme, you know, um, we in the kink and BDSM community have um, a value and acronym, RAC, Risk Aware Consensual Kink. And, and what that, and it in many ways is an adjustment, a replacement for um, an earlier acronym, Safe, Sane, Consensual, or mm-hmm. SSC. And, um, you know, first of all, to speak about sanity is 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 an ableist value but safety is also like nothing that we do is 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 100 safe so let's instead be risk aware 
Let's mm-hmm. be, let's have really clear conversations and negotiations around, you know, like what we're actually doing here and how much risk do each of us want to, it, who are a party to this experience, mm-hmm. um, how much risk do we want to take on? Um, how much of that liability do we want to take on? The, the last thing is, is, you know, kind of what I alluded to earlier, which is, and I get this insight from um, the, the fabulous um, cultural worker and activist Kai Ching Tom, who, you know, talks about, you know, the problem of safety is that like very few people in, um, in, in the United States, for example, can claim um, an expectation of feeling safe, yeah. um, expect it. You know, who are those people? They tend to be white, cis, straight. Um, they tend to be um, able-bodied. Able they body. tend to be, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and and they tend to be, you know, um, they tend to be high SES, socioeconomic status. Yeah. And, and so men, indeed, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so like, whereas like I walk around the world even my own neighborhood, and I don't feel like a hundred percent safe. Yeah. Um, I'm always every room that I walk in, um, you know, like I am. There's going to be a part of me, and I consider it a superpower, by the way, that that kind of hyper vigilance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of that I'm going to be scanning the room, and I'm going to be seeing, like, okay, um, where are the exits? Yeah. Where, you know, how many people are in here? You know, like where. Um, you know, like, um, uh, I live in central Virginia. So like, you know, the mm-hmm. appearance of a Confederate flag is not, you know, outside yeah. the realm of possibility, mm-hmm. but you know, so if I see one, I'm like, Oh, I'm out of here. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I don't feel safe all the time mm-hmm. as a fan, as as a trans person, as a queer person, um, you know, and so, um, it's to really recognize that. And so boundedness is this idea of, okay, well, if we can't feel safe, we can feel held. Mm -hmm. We can, um, and the example that I often give is that like, um, for self-care, um, one of the things that I do is I do aerial dance. So I like climb mm-hmm. up into the silks and, and I, you know, contort and, and do drops and, and, oh, by the way, I am deathly afraid of heights. <laughs> um, like, um, yeah. and yet like, I'm like seven feet off the ground, 10 feet off the ground mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm doing these, like these drops and, mm-hmm. and it's that like, I never feel safe. Yeah. But I am safe and I know that the silks will mm-hmm. hold me. And I know that if I'm in my body, mm-hmm. that my body will hold me. That even if I fall, I will know how to catch myself. Mm-hmm. And I've fallen and I know how to catch myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so, um, and so like, and that ability that because I've, I've drilled that and I've done that, I can say like, I trust my body and I feel bounded in my body. Hmm. And so that's something we can achieve, whether it's mm-hmm. in therapy or in, in our lives, we can feel 
held by our bodies. We can feel held by relationships. We can feel held by community. Yeah. Mm. All right. I want to take a short break right here. I want to do a little bit of a check-in here for anyone who is currently struggling with drug or alcohol addiction, because there is a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of help out there for you. So I want to share with you all a sponsor of the podcast, which I'm very appreciative and grateful and really happy to partner with here called Recovery Centers of America. You can call them at 1-800-945-8795 today. And I want you to really write that number down. I want you to put it in a note somewhere so that you have it. Maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's for a friend. Because even if you are struggling with drugs or alcohol addiction right now, you are worthy of recovery. You do not have to be in this place. Recovery Centers of America answers the phone and admits patients 24-7. And because safety is a top priority, all patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Their expert team of physicians and medical professionals will treat you with compassion and with dignity, which you are so deserving and so worthy of. Um, And they provide an evidence-based treatment plan that is custom tailored to your specific needs. So you're not just going to be checked into a little box here. Um, This is going to be really tailored and specific to you. Um, Recovery Centers of America's best-in-class inpatient and outpatient care are offered both in-person and via telehealth therapy. Uh, So it is affordable and it is accessible. And I really want you all to, again, jot down this number and you can call today, 1-800-945-8795. That's 1-800-945-8795. And now we can get back to the show. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. So much just came up for me listening to you. <laughs> Would you mind sharing a, a little bit? I mean, I, I, I mean, well, uh, yeah, no, I think it's on several different levels here. So like on a professional level, like talking about safety with clients, you know, wanting them to feel safe in this space has always been something I've I've said, right, has been a topic of discussion. While at the yeah. same time, you know, even in, in my disclosure form, you know, it's that there is risk here, you know, this mm-hmm. might get a little more tough before it gets better. Um, exactly. There is some of that um, informed consent. There is some of that awareness of, of risk within how do we create this to be a safe space. But then it is, it's like, thinking about, you know, the magic happens outside your comfort zone, right? So we have to kind of go there. But to look at therapy as this is a safe space, we're creating a safe space for our clients, it just sat so much differently for me because I do look at this work as holding space. You are sharing space with that person. And it it might be a feeling of safety that someone gets, but really they're being held. Really, they are taking emotional risk. Really, emotionally, it's not necessarily safe, right? Mm-hmm. So it got me thinking about that and just in terms of how I 
how I discuss that with, with clients and how I aim to even shape that as a space that, um, folks can feel held in, right? Not just safe, but feel held and feel supported. Um, I think also just in my own personal life, and I haven't looked at this or thought of this in so long, but I just now pulled it up. In one of my adult relationships, part of, I mean, he sent me this very long like letter thing and we sent letters back and forth kind of assessing the end of our relationship about how we were not happy with certain things. Mm -hmm. And it always felt like none of my boundaries were ever respected in this relationship, that I was constantly pushed on my boundaries. Um, This was a relationship with a white man and it definitely felt like there were just parts of my existence that he didn't understand. Um, And even as you said, you know, in your identities navigating through the world where it's like there are very few people that actually have the privilege or the expectation or the assumption or the trust, the trust that they will be safe in a work environment, walking down the street in a romantic relationship. That's so few people where I'm like, holy shit, that's not ever where I'm operating from. And in this one letter, he wrote about uh, my deep-rooted need for security and that he understood I needed to feel safe from, quote, safety from intruders with my three locks because my door just automatically comes with three locks on it and I lock all three before I go to bed. That's like, if I'm home by myself, I want all three locks locked. Um, Quote, safety from discomfort. Uh, I don't like to be cold. Uh, Safety from foods that I don't like. Safety from losing, from your body losing control. No drinking and no experimental drugs. Um, and I've never had a partner come inside of me with no condom on. That's a big no-no for me mm-hmm. because to me, that's, I've always, I've always explained it this way. If someone is going to come their penis inside my vagina, that purpose is to create a baby. I'm not risking mm-hmm. that with anyone that's, that I'm not married to. So for me, that's like, I'm saving that for my husband, mm-hmm. for the person I marry. Um, and he listed, quote, safety from the fear of sex in the form that virgin mentality and unhealthy cum fears. And so much, and then just acknowledging that he offers little to no security uh, because what he can provide and what he wants to give to a partner is essentially the opposite of what I needed. And so when you talk about safety, when you talk about boundedness, It's like in so many of even those things that were listed, I don't feel seen in, I don't feel heard Mm -hmm. in, I don't feel respected in. Mm -hmm. And what I'm really searching for is that feeling of being held, right? Mm -hmm. Being in those uh, silks, right? Like Mm -hmm. that imagery that you list there of doing that is so beautiful and just really paints it for me because it's like, yeah, you can trust yourself that you're gonna, you know, you know where you are, you know, you can pull yourself, you can kind of have that trust in your body. And you know, you're also still not totally safe, but you are held. 
and you do have things, you know, the ropes are almost kind of like your coping skills, right? Like, you know, you can kind of pull here and pull there. So I don't know that a lot came up in that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing. Um, I, I mean, I think, I, I, I suppose the, the question that uh, I wanted the, to ask and it, it is, is also like, and what do you notice? What, what happens when you do feel held? Mm-hmm. When you do feel seen, when mm-hmm. you do feel a sense of trust and that, you know, your boundaries are being respected, when you feel that sense of boundedness, yeah. what do you notice in, in your body or in, in your, mm-hmm. um, or what I would refer to as your embodied psyche? Yeah, I'm way more playful. Mm-hmm. I feel way more free it's like the walls come down, you know, and it's like, I'm less intense and way less defensive when I feel held and supported and seen. Um, It allows almost that kind of like childlike freedom, childlike play part of my personality to come out. Um, And that's where like very few people get to see that side of me because very few people hold me in that space. Um, Certainly not the internet. (laughs) Certainly not the internet. No, 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 no. Yeah, certainly not there. But I think, I think it does, it, it changes when I think about safety versus uh, boundedness, it changes the expectation or the image of what I'm, of what I'm searching for, of what I'm trying yeah. to create for myself. It changes that. Yeah. 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 yeah the, the playfulness can come out, you know, mm-hmm. the, the vulnerability, it makes space for vulnerability, Yeah, you know, um, or just for like whimsy caprice yeah. or like hard, hard things to come up. Like, you know, um, I, I love describing therapy is like it's a plate it's a space it's a container where mm-hmm. you can think thoughts and feel feelings and experience embodied sensations that um you know you might not it might not feel good to to experience them alone mm-hmm. you know and so in therapy in 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 the midst of a feeling of boundedness, we can experience that. We can face yeah. things that we couldn't necessarily face alone. Yeah. I don't know if this is a good example of this, but what comes up for me of like how that is different and how we can, you know, kind of take those things on. Even one of the last points that he listed in that letter of unhealthy comfiers was also he really didn't like that I didn't like from a blowjob let him come in my mouth and that was just like a no for me I just didn't want to do that and my current partner now where I feel so safe bounded where I feel seen and supported and heard I enjoy doing that now and I'm like yeah you can absolutely do that like I like when we do it like that um so it it definitely like you said opens up this different layer of vulnerability when you actually feel bounded and, and feel safe and um, a point here that you 
also brought up in your presentation and I want to kind of like round us off on a little bit here is Mm -hmm. intimate justice. And I think as we talk about boundedness, right, and who even gets the privilege of feeling quote unquote safe, right, that like that also has to do with a a bit of what I think would be social justice, disability justice, you know, Mm -hmm. intimate justice, all the forms of, of justice for folks who are marginalized to be able to actually sit in spaces where they can be bounded and then perhaps even safe. Yeah. And intimate justice is, is steeped in, um, and, and this is continually affirmed by the world association for sexual health mm-hmm. that, um, that pleasure is an essential component to, uh, sexual health. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. it, we don't talk about it enough. Um, and, and it, and, but it needs to be central. You know, it's like mm-hmm. establish consent, establish, you know, uh, honesty, can, um, uh, holding. But, yeah. you know, why are we there except for pleasure? The, the only problem is, so, you know, if we are all entitled to pleasure or we're all entitled to desire, we don't all necessarily feel that we have access to that entitlement ourselves Mm -hmm. you know and it's where we get like dynamics like um you know like internalized transphobia or Mm -hmm. um internalized misogyny or um internalized um transphobia um and so it's this idea that um you know we can't just like say like Hey baby, was it good for you? Mm-hmm. Um, that cliche. I just won't punch anybody who like <laughs> leans over and says that. But like that's what like a lot of satisfaction research um, yeah. has historically been, and um, and so like you know we need to be taking into account to kind of bring us back to the first thing that we talked about mm-hmm. to um, to identity. You know, yeah. like our social locations impact what our horizons for expecting or feeling that we deserve pleasure and desire Mm -hmm. to have our desires met our needs met our boundaries respected and met um yeah and so like um you know like i i've had so many experiences particularly early in my um gender transition you know of um and and I would say even well before that, um, where, you know, like I, I, I would kind of sacrifice my desires or, or my needs because like, I didn't want to be a burden yeah. or I was mm-hmm. ashamed of them or I, um, or like, I thought that like it would, um, that I, I wasn't, that I wasn't entitled to, to that, yeah. you know? pleasure you know it's like oh no I'm a giver I'm yeah. I'm a pleaser you know like mm-hmm. I want to do that you know my my pleasure is your pleasure and and that's great you know like sometimes my pleasure is a partner's yeah. pleasure um and, and and that that's you know can be transcendent mm-hmm. um but again you know I think it's this basis that everyone in yeah. that experience is entitled to pleasure is entitled to desire you're not necessarily entitled to having a desire met at a particular time and with a particular mm-hmm. person. Yeah. Um, but 
um, you are entitled to having that desire. Like you're mm-hmm. not so much of our work uh, is, is about discharging sexual shame and yeah. saying like, you know, like actually that fantasy that you have, like it is shared by thousands and thousands of people mm-hmm. and you are normal. You are okay. And mm-hmm. you might not be able to enact the letter of that fantasy, but like, I am sure that you can find somebody out there who would be, who would absolutely love to mm-hmm. help you find a creative way to enact it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like, even to your point uh, or your experience of, you know, your pleasure feeling like a burden or, you know, being a giver, like, I feel like that also tells me sometimes though that your partner, the person you're in that or persons that you're in that shared experience with also aren't prioritizing your pleasure Mm -hmm. as well. Um, You know, sometimes that is, and you might feel that like pushback, right? Of like, oh, no, haven't experienced that. What are you trying to do? I don't know. Don't put the attention on me. But I think uh, like a lot of the times, even just that, dynamic in itself is problematic because that also just shows that there is a uh, repeated experience of it not being prioritized and that feeling uncomfortable of like, what is, why are you trying to focus on me? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because uh, like one thing that I, uh, my clients will often say when I talk about, you know, like wants and, Mm -hmm. and boundaries and communicating them is, is like, Lucy, I don't know what I want. What if I don't know what I want? Mm -hmm. That's all all well and good, but like, how do I know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and there are, there are ways to do that. There are ways to drop into, you know, what does, what does your body want in that moment? Mm -hmm. What would be um, the, the expression that I use is what would be feels good. Yes. Right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like if you check in with your body and you feel like even the tiniest voice, that mm-hmm. says feels good yes feels bad no like you don't have to necessarily do anything with it at you know but but at first it's just like recognize yeah that that, that your body is is telling you a lot of things all the time like if you put um if you put a a pizza box anywhere in my vicinity, you know, hot pizza, mm-hmm. like I am going to be like, feels good. Yes. Yeah. I want that, you know, yes. um, you know, or like if you put the scent of patchouli in front of me, Oh God, I hate patchouli so much. Feels bad. No, I don't want to get anywhere near mm-hmm. that chip. Um, yeah. you know, I hate it. Um, but like, you know, if we use things like that, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that really allow us to check in and feel that strong, yes, that strong, no, then when we are in the midst of sex or play or sensual experience, erotic experience, Mm -hmm. then um, we can then tune in and say like, Oh, actually, like, I think an an adjustment is needed here, or I don't feel like I'm being held in this experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe you just get up and walk out and I've done that and it's yeah. so empowering to be like <laughs> I'm just yeah you're just not listening to me I am getting up and I'm walking out 
I feel like I see that in movies and shows sometimes where I'm like, oh God, like I wish like younger Taylor had the like confidence to be like, screw this and walk out of the room. Cause it does, yeah. it looks so empowering. Like, God, there's so many times I wish I would have just walked out of the room, <laughs> but didn't feel like I could. Um, and when you speak to that of like getting to know those feel good yeses and those feel bad no's, like what what has that process looked like for you? Um, if you're open mm-hmm. to sharing, you know, it sounds like you have kind of walked out of some spaces to honor yourself mm-hmm. and know that this was a feel bad no. Um, but, you know, how have you kind of gotten in touch with what that eroticism and what that pleasure looks like for you? Well, I think some of it has been, you know, that that for me, coming into my femme, you mm-hmm. know, has been about, like, I spent the first 37 years of my life in my head. Mm-hmm. And it's been, how do I, how do I give myself the gift of feeling? Yeah. And sometimes that gift of feeling is going to be euphoric. And sometimes it's going to feel like, you know, like when a cat brings you a dead bird and like, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh God, yeah. thank you. I know that you think that this is a great thing, but I did not need that dead bird. Yeah. Um, I did not ask for know, that. <laughs> I did not ask for that. Um, yeah. Um, and so like, um, and, and it, it took like, you know, partners where I felt so held mm-hmm. in, in those relationships it yeah. took, um, it, and it took experiences like with dance and, mm-hmm. um, and kind of like, and, um, there, there's a, the, the thing, the other thing about silks is that it gives me the freedom to suck at something. Mm-hmm. Like it's one realm. I will never be an aerialist. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's some people who are like, who go out every morning and go surfing and they will never catch that wave, but gosh yeah. darn it, they love the fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like, I love silks and I have the freedom to just be awkward. Mm-hmm. And and that's one of the things that's it's if I could give us, you know, all of us this gift is like lean into the awkward, swan dive into the awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, it, it is in you know, film and television where, you know, yeah. it's like, like how many times have, have folks like actually had sex on stairs? Oh my God, it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're not um, a porn star. Sex is allowed to be awkward. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's it, well, and even, um, you know, on porn sets, like what you, what you don't see yeah. is, is the awkwardness. You don't, you don't, mm-hmm. you know, like, except on certain, um, yeah. you know, sets, like, um, and they tend to be, you know, ethical porn and and mm-hmm. and and queer porn, um, you know, where. Um, but like, yeah, for the most part, you're not seeing the negotiation. You're not seeing, you know, people trying to like, you know, who, um, you know, are negotiating bodies and are like, yeah. you know, sex is inherently messy, and it's fabulous that it is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like there's so many smells and fluids and. <laughs> yes and sounds um I mean smells um, (laughs) smells like I mean uh, and that's great it's Mm -hmm. wonderful like it's a sensual playground and our bodies 
are magically multi-orgasmic, polymorphously perverse playgrounds of wonder. And let's spend time with those playgrounds. Mm -hmm. That's what I want for, if, if I could wish anything for, um, you know, for your listeners, for my clients, it's like to come into that recognition Mm -hmm. that your body is already, always already perfect as it Mm -hmm. is normal. And, um, you know, like there are things you, um, may wish to change to, um, ensure that your body feels, you feel more affirmed in your gender or in Mm -hmm. your sexuality. Um, but, um, but gosh, you know, like we are capable of so much. We're infinitely expansive. And, um, and I, I just, I I want us all to feel that entitlement to pleasure and to desire Mm -hmm. and the feeling held, um, in their experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You've given so much to our time today. And I, I mean, already again, I'm like, I learned so much in your presentation and the program, but like, I've already learned again so much here and have more reflecting to do after this. But, um, I think kind of a space I want to leave us off on, um, also because, I know majority of, of the listeners of this podcast are people who are cis, um, I'd say maybe, uh, majority heterosexual, but maybe some who are within the queer community, but, um, you know, I think there's so many things in this episode already that they can probably take away, but I'm wondering if there's anything specific for you that you really want cis, straight-bodied, um, you know, heteronormative folks to recognize that they can learn from trans folks, from the queer community. Um, if there's anything specific that sticks out for you that you want to kind of pass along as a message of like, pay attention to this, you can learn this. Yeah, um, approach your body and your partner's bodies from a beginner's mind, from a position that, um, like, um, I don't know what this is. Like, if I'm having sex with somebody with a vulva, like, I may have had a number of sexual encounters, like, uh, with um, folks with vulvas, but I don't know the specificity of this vulva. Mm-hmm. Like, what does what does kind of touch does this um does this part like um does does this partner want and need um to feel to feel yummy Mm -hmm. um and so um you know that's the first thing I think we we map so many again cultural scripts onto like what sex is what's involved like um I've said this before in, in, in other experiences, but like you can have hours of mind blowing sex with a flaccid penis. You can have mm-hmm. mind blo- uh, hours of mind blowing sex without involving any genitals or yeah. chests or breasts. Like that's something you can, you can experience pleasure from being spanked. You can experience mm-hmm. pleasure from, you know, certain kinds of caress or from, tantric breathing, um, mm-hmm. practices like eye gazing. Um, you can, uh, from so many forms of touch and again, our bodies like 
that if we just like look at, for example, penises as just like the only good penis is hard, penetrating penis, mm-hmm. then like we're missing out on the fact that like there are so many um the nerves are still there. The erect yeah. the erection is merely about, you know, um is about enlarging the surface area where the pleasure yeah. can be experienced and mm-hmm. making it more pronounced. But for the most part, it's it's like, um, and it, it, if you want to have penetrative PIV sex, penis and vagina sex, absolutely. But like, there's so many other things yeah. um, that, that you can do and that you can experience. And what does that open up if suddenly you don't feel like you have to um, measure up to a particular standard of performance. Mm-hmm. What does that do for you and your sex? Like, how do you then, how can you perhaps feel more held and more seen? And how can we bring different energies and intentions to our bodies and to other people's bodies? Um, I, I don't want to prattle on too much, but, uh, but no, yeah, I could literally listen to you all day. I have before <laughs> I'll do it again. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think there's like so much in this that folks can take away. Um, and I mean, I'm, I definitely feel so seen and heard both from myself and from you, um, in talking through all of this. So again, just want to thank you so, so freaking much for sharing this work that you do for sharing your knowledge and sharing your own personal experiences as well. Um, I do know you have a book coming out very soon Ooh. called trans sex and, I've already pre-ordered it and I cannot wait for it to get here. Um, but would love for you to share a bit of like where people can find your work, of how people can get your book um, and all of that. Cool. Well, I'm on um, Instagram at, at Lucy Fielding. Um, um, my website, uh, lucyfielding.com. My book, Transsex Clinical Approaches to Transsexualities and erotic embodiments um, comes out next month, E, um, mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Routledge. Um, you can find it on um, on Amazon, of course, or Routledge. And, um, you know, um, I have on my Instagram and on my website some um, pre-order codes for 20% off uh, list price if you use the Routledge site. Uh, books are expensive, and but like books are also so yummy and sensual. Yeah, um, they're amazing. So, and yeah. screw Amazon if you can. <laughs> yes, please. Bookshop.org. Also, um, like mm-hmm. a lot of the independent bookshops that, that go through there. Um, yeah, like pretty much where you need to find it, you will you can find it. And mm-hmm. if, you, if you don't, then have your bookstore carry it, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for your time and for everything. It's been amazing having you on. Thank you. Thank you. This was so much fun. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right? And, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast 
podcast um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.